0: Welcome to Hub and Flow, a podcast produced by Natural Gas Intelligence. On a mission to provide transparency to the natural gas market, Hub and Flow focuses on key fundamentals driving the price of natural gas and LNG in the United States, Canada, and Mexico. Natural Gas Intelligence, or NGI, is a subscription based price reporting agency, which means we provide trusted and independent natural gas pricing and news for the North American market. Hello,
1: everyone. And welcome to another edition of NGI's Hub & Flow podcast. I am Senior Energy Analyst, Shaylin Stolk, and I've got one of our thought leaders, Jacob Dick, here, and we're going to be having a chat about the European Union, the UK's natural gas production in the North Sea, the energy crisis, Brexit, how that all fits together. Jacob, I know you've been covering the energy crisis in Europe quite a bit. What can you tell us about how Europe is trying to source gas to get through this winter?
2: Uh, Yeah. Hey, thanks, Shailen. Thanks for uh, having me on. Yeah. So this has been a topic that we've tried to keep an eye on because it obviously has implications for what we uh, can expect in terms of future import demand from europe whether they'll be relying on u.s natural gas supply uh, in the future and what kind of mix that europe is trying to secure uh, now that they're trying to wean off of dependence from russian gas and um what we've, we've seen on the, at least as it applies to the US, there is not a lot of supply left out there. And I think that that is kind of the issue with global supply in general. So you see the EU making lots of framework agreements for future cooperation. Um, one of those was finally formalized in June between Israel, Egypt, in the EU to help develop more natural gas production from some of the fields offshore of Israel. But Israel does not have um, the necessary infrastructure to send that extra gas to the European Union uh, members. So they're working with Egypt to develop more LNG capacity. And you, you see a couple of those different agreements. There, there was one currently being developed with Algeria. There's another with Turkey to help collaborate on some pipeline infrastructure. Um, but I think that you see the UK making similar moves on their own to try to form up par- partnerships, specifically with the United States and uh, Norway.
1: and I recently saw a news story about, I'm trying to get a similar pact going with the Netherlands, which makes sense given the big LNG import facility there. Do you think any of these other supply routes, say from North Africa, are going to actually help Europe plug the gap this winter?
2: This winter, that is hard to say. So we finally have some LNG cargos coming from Coral Sol in Mozambique. But uh, that project had been delayed several times due to, uh, I believe, some technical errors. That It hasn't been quite clear what's kept that delayed. But other projects in Africa, specifically Nigeria, have been delayed because of security concerns. So... I think, for the most part, near-term supply is pretty limited.
1: Yeah. And I'm not sure the UK can plug that gap, even though they're trying to reach out to the Netherlands. And you know, they've already cranked up supply this summer by about 25%. And you know, a lot of that's getting absorbed domestically. So you know, i'm not sure how much they can help out with the rest of europe
2: yeah and i actually i saw something kind of interesting today like obviously norway has increased uh, its output of natural gas over the last 10 months in response to what has happened uh, with the invasion of ukraine and uh, europe and the uk's need for natural gas but they uh, they announced today that they were presenting a new development operation plan to regulators in Norway for a discovery that they'd made a little while ago. They're calling it their ERPA partnership. But notably, if you look at Equinor's VP of drilling, he said it would help deliver uh, gas to customers in the EU and the UK. I uh, kind of took note of that, that it wasn't just Europe in general, they're specifically looking to. Supply the block and the UK. I thought that was an interesting description.
1: Yeah, Europe is. I think people in the US underestimate how politically complex Europe is. I don't know if you've had the same impression.
2: Oh, I, it's been definitely mind-boggling to to wade into some of these partnerships and then having to uh, unearth the, the years of, of politics and disagreements that that sometimes shape how they're they've come about today.
1: One thing I've been watching is the internal dynamics with the UK, because let's be honest, it's, you know, if Europe is a bunch of kids in a van (laughs) and, you know, all kind of crammed in there, gets trying to get along, the UK is really sort of four and a half countries in a trench coat. And England has... largest population by a factor of 10, and ends up sort of dragging the other countries along in its wake, regardless of if there's big, big differences in political interests. And in this case, usually just that overwhelming population difference kind of allows England to make the decisions. But in this case, we have... Scotland, as the UK's main energy producer, uh, Scotland itself went all in on renewable energy back in 2010 and set a goal for 100% renewable energy by 2020, which is incredibly ambitious for a small country and has gotten to 90, over 97% renewable electricity. And so their natural gas production, which is over 80% of the UK domestic production, is, you know, they have all that power because so they've got 80% of the gas production and 75% of the renewables production. And England relies on that natural gas that's getting exported from Scotland and historically they've sold electricity to other parts of Europe and to England so you've now got one of the UK countries which overwhelmingly voted against Brexit and want to stay in the EU actually has some leverage here so that's an interesting internal politics i've been seeing some noises in the Scottish news about people who are, the public is not happy with this situation. And get realizes that, you know, suddenly we've got a region with 8% of the population actually has some cards. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, and I, and I think representation oh. as it, as it comes to, uh, what you bring to the table when it comes to energy, that, that has been a hot topic this year in general, and, it, and it's, you're seeing lots of partnerships and discussions on the geopolitical front that uh, you might not have seen embraced as widely otherwise. But I think that's probably so, something important to think about in terms of what the UK is, is doing now, but also what they've missed out on after Brexit in terms of the policy talks. That they weren't included in for, uh, for the block and how that might be shaping their outlook and where they have to go to f- for future supply.
1: Yeah, and part of the discussions with the Netherlands, at least based on what I've seen in the news, is that they're trying to wriggle back in into some of these energy production consortia, which isn't just natural gas. There's uh, Scotland produces 25% of Europe's wind power. So it's um, North Sea wind as well as North Sea gas, and they want back in on these multinational agreements. And even though there was a lot of hay made about, oh, Brexit isn't going to interfere with um, the oil and gas industry, I've seen reports that, yes, it is causing export issues and fees and clogging up their ability to trade with the rest of europe
2: right and that's something that i've kind of been thinking of specifically especially a couple weeks ago we saw um PM Sunak, some reports out of his administration that he might be in the middle of negotiating talks with the U.S. for a, a supply deal, kind of similar to the one that we've seen from the EU earlier in the year and some of the talks between the Biden administration and uh, commission executives about collaboration on, on sending more U.S. LNG to Europe. But I think the the issue with that and something maybe that isn't talked about as much in, in the media, like some of the geo- geopolitical experts that I talk to when I talk to them about something big happening on the global stage, they usually give me two answers. They give me the answer about what happened and the answer about what didn't happen or what isn't going to happen now. And I think you have to think about like what has... UK missed out on, in terms of not being able to piggyback on and and having outsized influence in the EU as, at it, it, uh, some people would argue, it used to enjoy, and now they're having to, in some ways, play catch up and go to these same countries and inform these same uh, frameworks that the block already has, and so like looking comparing this year to last year, the UK imported. BCM of LNG from the U.S. That was about 26% of their overall LNG imports for the year. This year, as of October, they've already imported 9.7 BCM, about 42% of their total imports. So what uh, their collaboration with the U.S. and uh, whatever sparing volumes that we're not already sending elsewhere, whatever they can get, that's going to be very important.
1: Yeah, so how feasible is it for the US to keep supplying Europe, given that we have some production and export bottlenecks?
2: So, I think most uh, of the models from financial institutions to energy analysts are all saying 2023 swing to be incredibly tight, especially in the spring. There is some speculation about when china might wade back into the spot market and and that has uh, a long shadow over what we can expect for prices in the next spring but the reality is as we've known for a while there's not going to be any major additions to global supply until maybe 2025 2026 and so whatever is left out there on the market is already there and so we heard from uh, on monday There was a survey published by the Japanese trade ministry uh, where they surveyed most of their firms in Japan being one of the largest, if not the largest right now. They're kind of neck and neck in competition with China for the largest uh, importer. Those firms said there were no long-term contracts to be had before 2026. And so I I think that uh, it goes to say that the outlook is grim.
1: Wow, so circling back to some of these energy related alliances you're commenting on earlier, do you think those are going to be long term or just do you think that those are you know more ephemeral or stable? depending on how long this crisis goes on.
2: That is hard to say, and that has been a topic of a lot of discussion when it comes to contracting for some of our uh, U.S. LNG projects. There's been, uh, you know, earlier in the year, especially right after the invasion of Ukraine in February, there was a lot of talk about, you know, this will be the year that all of our proposed projects reach FID, because Europe's going to come swinging in, and and buy all these contracts, and they haven't really. We've seen a few, a British chemical company, Inuos uh, Group AG, they got a, um, a supply agreement from Simpra earlier in the year. We had a Polish-controlled company do the same. We had RWE AG, a German utility, make a 15-year deal with Simpra. But other than that, it's been mostly portfolio players and Asian firms that have got most of our long-term LNG supply contracts. And uh, if you look at some of the deals that specifically German utilities and the large players in Europe are doing, you're seeing them uh, make agreements for FSRUs, potentially temporary uh, import terminals or things that they can adapt because most of these agreements have hydrogen frameworks atta- attached to them. So they're Europe, I guess, in some ways, uh, some of these players are being smart, where they're not uh, giving themselves a hard out that they have to divest away from natural gas. But they're kind of uh, padding their escape and uh, hopefully easing the mind of their investors by saying, see, we're doing something else as well. It's not always going to be natural gas.
1: That's interesting that we're seeing people kind of hedging and you know trying to give themselves those off-ramps. One of the things that I think is interesting about the how the UK plays into this is that again, Brexit has clogged up some of these energy trading pathways. And Scotland has previously Floated the idea of independence and joining, being fast tracked into the EU. And while there were certainly countries in Europe that expressed support for this previously, now with the energy crisis and Scotland holding so much North Sea gas and so much renewable energy capacity, again, there's a lot of power there and England can frack. (laughs) That's back on the table. Even though there's uh, been a lot of public pushback about fracking, they can frack. There are shale beds there, but not the way there are in the States, not the kind of extensive shale deposits that you see in, say, Appalachia. So even if they do open up fracking, they're not really going to be able to be energy independent. So... It, given that membership in the EU has been such contentious issue between England and the other UK countries, I wonder if this is going to prompt, say, another independence referendum in Scotland. I wonder if this is going to create a push in Wales and Cornwall for more devolved powers just because this is such an overwhelming issue that's having a really immediate impact on people's ability to do things like heat their homes.
2: Yeah. And I was going to ask what you thought about uh, the seeming turn in policy between the the May administration and SUNEX administration, where quickly after he took office, he said that fracking was off the table. Do you think that 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 issue is is a political millstone around his party's neck, that that's something that he felt like he had to address?
1: I think that, based on my experience there, it's one of these sort of political touchstones more than it is a major policy issue. Like I said, England does have shale deposits. Some of them are in Wales and Cornwall. There's coal there as well where it's not going to be some game-changing influx of natural gas production capacity the way it was in the States. So, but the idea that England needs some kind of fossil fuel production to be energy independent from Scotland and from the renewables production that's associated with Scotland, Northern Ireland, and the Republic of Ireland has been a, for want of a better word, a culture war issue, where it's not I don't, and it's also something that's very unpopular with the public Uh, again, because of the geography, it's not like you can go frack far away from where people are, it's going to be in farmer joe's sheep pastures it's going to be in you know the areas close to people there are concerns about pollution environmental stuff and there's been previously a lot of protests about fracking so you know there's the we don't want to piss off our constituents factor and also the fact that is. The idea of ramping up UK coal production, meaning English coal or English fracking and natural gas, is this sort of cultural war issue of, oh, we have to be independent from Europe. We have to be, you know, we can't depend on the other UK countries, England first kind of mindset. And it's more symbolic than, you know, I think an actual meaningful. Policy piece?
2: I think that's a good point, and something else I was going to ask you about because I, I, before this podcast, I was looking at comparing the charts over the past 10 months of the national. Balancing point, the MVP, which is the for the, for some of the listeners who might not know the uh, a popular UK virtual trading point for natural gas. So I was comparing it to the Dutch title uh, transfer facility benchmark for uh, natural gas in Europe, and if you look at the different spikes the TTF has had, the MBP has basically done the same thing, and most of the time they're only a couple U.S. dollars apart. So, I mean, we talk a lot about. Brexit and the, and the policy implications of the separating of UK and Europe, but if you look at their prices, they seem very entangled. So do you think we still have a situation where UK and, and the price that they're paying for the gas is still very much connected uh, with what's going on with the EU?
1: Yeah, and part of that is because Scotland meets a lot of the natural gas need for the uk but not all of it 40 percent of total uk natural gas use is imported and so they're going to be tied to europe that's as much as there's the sort of symbolic idea with brexit of well we're going to be totally self-sufficient independent that's that can't happen not with the current demand for natural gas.
2: Yeah, uh, that, that makes a lot of sense.
1: So, you know, then there, but at the same time, there is that factor where, you know, sometimes there's going to be, prices are going to be affected by Brexit as far as those imports coming in, that's going to drive it up, or you're going to have increased domestic production like we saw this summer, but given how tight the market is, that didn't really, you wouldn't know that.
2: So, in in conclusion, it's a complicated world. Uh, Things are very volatile right now. And uh, Europe and and the UK are both in very sticky situations.
1: And given how politically volatile Europe is, NGI is going to be keeping an eye on the situation, keep an eye on our website. That's naturalgasintel.com. Our journalists are covering... All these issues please subscribe if you haven't already for more of that coverage and even if you don't subscribe we love that you're listening to the podcast please stay tuned
0: dependable data drives informed business decisions trust ngi to provide your natural gas and lng data for north america if your business requires daily weekly or midweek pricing data forward curves or flow data NGI has a reliable product suite to support you. Visit natgasintel.com backslash services to understand what we have to offer and how we can help you and your business today. Thank you for listening to NGI's Hub & Flow podcast today. We encourage you to subscribe to the podcast, rate and review it, and please do share it with your colleagues. A trusted provider of natural gas news, data, and pricing information for North America, NGI offers subscription-based products. Please visit natgasintel.com if you are interested in NGI and our services. If you would like to dive deeper into this subject, additional resources are available on our website as well. Just visit natgasintel.com and click on the resources tab to find the podcast page.